All right, we're continuing in James chapter number four. And we have been, James chapter number four, the fourth proof is the proof of godliness. In other words, what, how are you proving your faith? And um, James is saying here that in James four, it is that you will be godly in every way, in all things. And he, and he began that by, by talking about uh, lust and envy and the danger of lust. But we also understand that James is talking about here uh, with them in verse number one, from whence cometh wars and fightings among you. And so he's discussing that. He, he, they could have peace, like he mentions at the end of James 3, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So those people that want to walk in peace can find peace. And then he says, well, where, where, do, where do you find wars and fightings among you? They, they come from your lust. And so he's, he's actually talking to them also about how to live in peace. And so we, we talked about several things, and this is the third sermon on this. And, and we, we talked about the last time about resisting the devil. Resisting the devil uh, leads to godliness, and that was in uh, verse number seven. Submit yourselves to God. So if you walk in submission to God and you uh, resist the devil, the devil will flee from you and that will help you to walk godly and it will also stop those fightings and wars among you. And so as we're thinking about that, we're going to, we're going to come now to verse number eight where it says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. So, so we're going to look at like what are some ways to walk godly? What are some things that are evident when we're walking godly? And again, remember, these are the, the Jews that are spread throughout the Roman Empire and they're uh, going to new places and he's writing this letter to them to try to encourage them as they are, they are walking in faith and we can glean from the letter that James is sending to them how to walk faithfully in our day to day. And so as we, we look at that tonight, we're going to continue this, the, the look at um, how to walk godly in all things. And James gives some imperatives here. How to draw nigh to God. And he's going to give some imperatives uh, there, which we'll look at in just a second. But what is it to draw nigh to God? And, and since we're thinking about the new year, we can, we can go back to January of 2023. And then look at December of 2023. And we could ask ourselves, are we nearer to God than we were in December than we were in January? Did you draw more nigh to God? Are you closer to God today than you were on January 1st? And then you might ask yourself the question, well, what am I going to do to guarantee that I'm going to draw nearer to God in 2024. That's what we're supposed to be doing, by the way. We're supposed to be becoming more sanctified. We're supposed to be being separated from the world more and separated to God. We ought to, we ought to be able to say that our relationship with the Lord is closer today than it was in the beginning of the year. And you ought to, as you look forward to 2024, you ought to have a plan in place where you'll be nearer to God at the end of 24 than you were at the beginning of 24. You ought to have that plan in place. And if you don't have that plan in place, if you've not thought about how you're going to be closer to God in the upcoming year than you 
were this past year, then, then, then there might be something wrong with your discipleship. There might be something wrong with your relationship. There might be some places that you need to work on in your Christian life. If you don't have a desire to be closer to God in the upcoming year than you were in the past year. That should be what all of us desire. And so James here says, draw nigh unto God. One commentator says that means secure time for communion with God. Secure time for communion with God. And so drawing near unto God is securing time for communion with him, having some communion with God, having some fellowship with him, spending some time with the Lord. And so you ought to be thinking about in 24 how you're going to spend time with the Lord, how you're going to utilize that time with the Lord, how are you going to draw near unto him? And there's some things that happen to us when we draw near unto him, and it is that it changes our character. When you are with the Lord, your character is changed. Your, your uh, actions are changed. Your thought process, processes are changed. And so the reason that you want to draw near unto God, draw nigh unto him, is so that it will change you to be more godly. And you'll notice what it says. You draw nigh unto God and he'll draw nigh unto you. And what would be better for us to know that God is nearer to us in the upcoming year than he has been this past year? And so we're thinking about how to live godly. And James is encouraging them to live godly. And so he, if you're going to live godly, draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. And that's what drawing nigh to God does. It leads us to godliness. And we understand the first thing that he said was, uh, he, he, uh, submit yourselves therefore unto God. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and that will lead you to godliness. So, so the benefit of drawing nigh unto God means that his gracious presence is with you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. And as I thought about that this week, I thought about, what, just, just think about the impact of that. That means that God is with you. His glorious attributes are with you. Um, his power can be active in your life. His wisdom can be supervising in your life. His peace which passes all understanding, can be ruling in your life. You see, those things that make God, God are nearer to you when you draw near to him. More of his attributes and more of his presence is going to be with you. And so it's going to be beneficial for you. Don't you, don't you want more of God's power present in your life? Then draw nearer to where he is. Don't you want more of his wisdom supervising your life? Then draw nearer to where he is. Don't you want more of his peace that passes all understanding? Then draw nearer to where he is. As the saying always goes, that if God seems far away, it's not him that moved. That's why it says draw near unto him and he will draw near unto you. In other words, when you're drawing near unto him, you're, you're walking into his presence more fully. And so it's just like we talked about it a little bit in the men's Sunday school class this morning or this past week about the tabernacle and how that there were places that separated between where God is and the Holy of Holies and where the people were. 
And as you move outside of the Holy and Holies to the holy place, you're moving farther away from the presence of God. And if you move out of the holy place out into the courtyard, you're moving farther away from the presence of God. And as you go out of the courtyard, you go past the brazen laver and you go past the brazen altar and you, and you get out into the outer court. As you go, you're moving farther away from the presence of God. And some of us in our lives do that at times. Instead of drawing near to God, we, and, and, and what are the ways that we draw near to God? The, the, the things, the tools that he has given us. He's given us the tool of his word. He's given us the tool of prayer. He's given us the tool of, uh, of, of the Lord's Supper. And he's given us the tool of church where we can draw nearer to him through these things. And as we separate those things out of our life, like, well, I don't need that. Or you're saying, well, the presence of God is there and, and I don't need that in my life. So I don't need the word in my life. So what you're saying is the presence of God that comes through his word, I don't need that. The, the presence of God that comes through prayer. If you say, oh, I don't need to pray. Or if you don't pray, what you're saying in essence is the presence of God that is available to me through prayer, I don't need that. You see, all of these tools that God has given us to help us draw near unto him, as we lay those things aside, what we're actually saying is, I don't need God. I don't need the presence of God there. So, so there are benefits in drawing nearer unto God, drawing nigh unto God, and, and enjoying his presence. And we need to learn that if we're going to live godly. So, so he gives us some, James gives them some, some imperatives some things to do. And actually it, it sort of, the, the imperatives that he gives you begins with verse number seven, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, draw nigh unto God. And now he's going to go on and tell us some more imperatives about uh, drawing near unto God. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. So what is necessary to draw nigh unto God? And that would be draw nigh to God by cleansing your hands, which would be Watching your actions, paying attention to your actions and, and saying, does this please God? And so, you know, I, I, I've, saw it, I've saw it several times recently. And, uh, and I can't remember the exact quote, and, and, but it's something along this line. And it, maybe one of them was on a coffee cup that says, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. I... I Talked to a guy today at the hospital. He said sort of the same thing. You know, I, I love Jesus, but I use some bad words sometimes. And I'm like, you know, I mean, you might think you love Jesus, but I don't think if you love Jesus, you ought to be saying those words. You ought to be paying attention to your actions. So, so drawing on to God by cleansing your hands would be, we need to pay attention to our actions and we need to think about the things that we do and the places that we go and, and the actions that we commit. And so you cleanse those. The next is, notice, you sinners. The next thing he says is uh, purify your heart. So if cleansing your hands was paying attention to your actions, then purifying your hearts is thinking about your desires. What are your desires? What are the desires of your hearts? Purify your hearts. Purify your desires. And notice he called them double-minded. You double-minded. They're double-minded about what? They're double-minded about their loyalties. Really, <clears throat> what you're asking is, 
when you're thinking about your desires, if I seek him first in his kingdom, is that where my desires are? Set your affections on things above. Are my desires really for the things above or are my desires on the things of the earth? See, are you double-minded? I mean, is, is, is Christ really worth your all? Surrendering your all to him and laying aside uh, your desires for his honor and his glory. You see, that's what people are double-minded about. They're, they're double-minded about whether Christ is truly worthy of all of their loyalty. And so sometimes we need to think about our desires and we not, might need to purify them. And what do we do if we find that our actions and our desires aren't what they should be? Just what John tells us in 1 John, confess your sins and he'll be faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So, so the imperative, uh, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, draw out of him, cleanse your heart or cleanse your hands, purify your heart. Now he gets to be afflicted and mourn. If we're going to live godly, we need to be afflicted and mourn. If we're going to... Uh, Get rid of lust, which would bring the fightings and wars among us. We're, we're going to have to be afflicted and mourn. And why does he mention be afflicted and mourn? It's because we see, we begin to see the weight of our sin. See, too many of us excuse our sins. Too often we think that it's no big deal uh, how we sin, how we live, and how we walk. But we need to be afflicted and mourn and weep as we see how our lives are not drawing near unto God. We're, we're actually turning away from God. We cannot approach God with levity. We have to approach him with brokenness and understand our lives and how our, that, that God is not okay with sin in our lives. That God is not okay um, with with, with sin. So we need to be afflicted and mourn and, and, and let our laughter be turned to mourning and our joy to heaviness. In other words, that's not talking about we shouldn't have joy, but when we look at our lives and we compare our lives to where Christ is, and again, a lot of people want to say, well, my life's okay. Compared to what? Are you comparing your life to other people in this world? Or are you comparing your life to Jesus? Because God, Jesus, God said, be you holy for I'm holy. So are you okay compared to what? You might be okay if you, if I was the standard and you measured your life by me, you might say, well, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm okay because my life is as good as Mark's life is. But, but I'm not the standard. The holiness of God is the standard. And you can't be satisfied with how good you are until you approach perfection and holiness. And so we need to look at our lives and say, you know what? My life isn't okay compared to the holiness of God. And that's why he says, be afflicted and mourn. Notice he goes on to say, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Again, this is looking at yourself honestly and seeing how you compare to the holiness of God and say, there's some places where I don't measure up and there's some places where I need to work so that I can be godly in all things. But also we notice that 
that this is talking about our interpersonal relationships. It's talking about our relationship with others because, again, in verse number one, it says, from whence come wars and fightings among you. So it's talking about you're having trouble with people and you're clashing and there's wars and fightings among you. Yes, it comes because of lust and becomes because comes because of envy. But if you want to overcome that, humble yourself. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. You see, we shouldn't be thinking about ourselves all the time. We shouldn't be thinking about how that affects us. But that's what we do. And a reduction in wars and fightings among us will be if we think of ourselves less, what we will we be able to do? Think of others more often. As Paul says, let each esteem others better than themselves. So you'll be able to think of others and you'll be able to honor others more often if you're thinking of yourself less often. And if you're humbling yourself and thinking better of others, that will calm some of those wars and fightings among you. And again, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to think better of others than we are of ourselves. Listen, too many of us have too high of opinion of ourselves. Because you see, when you humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, what's he going to do? He's going to lift you up. And then what's the next thing he says in, as an imperative? Speak not evil one of another. So think about that. Where do wars and fightings come among people so often? Chitter-chatter, right? And now that we all have a phone, I, I was reading today about someone talking about the, the people fighting on the internet, you know, uh, people sending messages and, 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 and tearing people down on, on Facebook and so forth. That People, problems come so often because we speak negatively about others. And so if we will humble ourselves and we think better of others, and we speak well of them, the wars and fightings are going to go away. And what is it to be godly but to speak better of others? It's not godly to speak evil of someone. It's godly to speak better of them. And so he says, why should you uh, speak not evil one of another? Because he says, go on and read. He that speaketh evil of, his, evil of his brother and judges his brother speaketh evil of the law and judges the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? So, so the reason that you shouldn't speak evil of someone is because when you speak evil of them, you are actually becoming a judge. And the fact of the matter is, can we judge rightly? Can you judge according to the perfect law of God? Apart from your own opinions, apart from your own likes and dislikes, can you judge perfectly according to the word of God? And the answer to that is probably not because we are all persuaded by our own likes and our own dislikes and our own thoughts and opinions. And so we really can't judge rightly. And so one of the things we need to see is if we're speaking evil of another person, we're actually becoming their judge we're taking the place of God, who is the only judge. Do you really want to do that? 
Do you really want to act like God and judge someone else, speak evil of someone else? When you speak evil of someone else, you're taking the place of God and you're judging them. And notice it also says you're speaking evil of the law. And the reason it's speaking evil of the law when you speak evil of someone else is because you're saying that the law is not enough. You need my opinion. You need my feelings included to it. You, need to, you have to add yourself to it. Your opinion is needed. The law is not sufficient. So actually what you're saying is the law is not good enough. And so he's warning them about how to live godly and how to calm these wars that are among them. And so humbling yourself will lead you to getting right with other people. And when you get right with other people, it'll show in the way that we talk about them. And so again, he's thinking about these wars and fightings among us. And, and we might look at our lives and think about uh, if we're having wars and fightings among us, wonder why that is. And we might take the advice from James here and, and apply it to our situations. And we might find some of those wars and fightings might cease. And then we need to think about how we're going to live godly. We're going to live godly by following those imperatives that he gave us there. Submit, resist, draw near, cleanse, purify, be afflicted and mourn, humble, and then speak not evil. All of those things are imperatives. Those are things, those are commandments. Those are what's, an imperative is a New Testament commandment. Those are things that as a Christian you ought to do. Notice it doesn't have a question mark after it. It doesn't say you ought to. These are things it says you do these things. They're imperatives. They are things that we as Christians do. Not ought to do. It's what Christians do. You follow those imperatives. So we need to think about those imperatives in our own lives. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for a word that directs us. And I pray, Lord, that we will learn to live according to it. And Lord, humble us if we need humbled and help us to uh, cleanse our hands and purify our hearts today. Just thank you for the truth we find in your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray.